Just last weekend, my own nephew was baptized up in Greenville, South Carolina, and um, believe it or not, he cried the whole time. I saw the video, they sent it to me, and I made some little snarky comment like, well, if I had done it, he would have been fine. <laughs> Just shows you what I know. There you go. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 23. We're going to begin with verse 13. This is found on page 804 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. But before I read that, I invite you once again to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your will. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 22. Listen now for the gospel of the Lord. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. For you do not go in yourselves, and when others are going in, you stop them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross sea and land to make a single convert, and you make the new convert twice as much a child of hell as you. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the sanctuary is bound by nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by the oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the sanctuary that has made the gold sacred? And you who say, whoever swears by the altar is bound by nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on the altar is bound by the oath. How blind you are, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and whoever swears by the sanctuary swears by it and by the one who dwells in it, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by the one who is seated upon it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So as I mentioned to you this past week, my, my nephew was baptized. It was also his first birthday, and so like a good aunt and uncle, Julianne and I were trying to find a good present that we could send to him for his birthday. I very uncreatively suggested a teddy bear. You can't go wrong with a teddy bear for a one-year-old, but my brother very quickly told us that he already had a teddy bear. In fact, a teddy bear that he called Boo Boo Bear that uh, he carried with him everywhere he went, and there was no other teddy bear that was going to be able to replace Boo Boo Bear so we needed to come up with a different idea. I don't know about you all, but I had the same experience as a child. I had tons and tons of stuffed animals, but I had one stuffed animal that was my favorite, that had special meaning to me. It was a giraffe, and I named it Necky. That was his name. And I carried Necky everywhere I went. I carried him by the neck, in fact, everywhere I went. And in fact, I, I loved Necky more than any of my other stuffed animals. For some reason, it had special meaning to me above everything else that I had. At one point, Necky sort of disappeared, probably because my parents thought he was getting grimy or something along those lines. And, and there was nothing that they could do to console me. There's no other toy or no other gift that they could give me that had the same meaning as Necky had for me. 
I think we have those kind of things in our adult life too, those things that take on special meaning for us. They, they mean a little bit more, whether it's our favorite sweatshirt or our favorite coffee mug or even uh, our, our favorite television shows, things that we share with, with our husbands or our wives, things that we share with our family. We have things that have special meaning to us that are a little bit more important than some of those other things that we have in our life. And I think that's the case within our faith too. We have things that are personal for us that, that we hold on to as just a little bit more important. It might be our favorite place, like a place like Montreat, or it might be our favorite hymn. Maybe we're singing some of your favorite hymns today, or maybe it's our favorite Bible. I have a favorite Bible that I got when I joined the church in confirmation. All of those things that are special to us are just a, a step above something that is extra meaningful to us. But we have individually all of those meaningful things but then there's one step above that, and that's what we as a community call sacred. We have those things that we hold as a community that we call sacred and important. And there are things all around the world that churches from time to time, denominations even, will fight over because they're so sacred to us. They're so important to us, above and beyond even those things that hold meaning for us. And within the Presbyterian Church and other denominations too, even above that level of sacred, we hold two special acts, two special things that we call sacraments. Baptism, which you just saw today, and next week the Lord's Supper. And those two special acts are sacred acts that we hold even above all of those sacred things that we hold so dear. And over the next couple of weeks, as we're leading up to Advent, believe it or not, Advent is almost upon us, we're going to talk about the sacraments and especially the symbols within the sacraments. The water for baptism, the bread and the cup from the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about the meaning of those sacraments and the, and the meaning of those symbols for us what they mean for our church, and, and how God communicates to us through those sacraments. But today I want to talk about those two words. Before we get into the elements themselves, I want to talk about those two words, sacred and sacrament. What is it that makes something sacred? And what is it that makes something a sacrament? Believe it or not, that might sound like a simple question to you, especially if you've grown up in the church and you've, you've experienced sacred things all your life, but... But believe it or not, that's a question that churches have asked again and again and again all the way back to the early church and even before the early church. That's what's going on, in fact, in our passage from Matthew this morning. It's a debate about what is sacred. Jesus is in the temple in the Gospel of Matthew, and he's... he's uh, giving the woes or the warnings to the scribes and the Pharisees. There's a whole list of those in the Gospel of Matthew. And right in the middle of those, I don't know if you saw that, but the scribes and the Pharisees are debating over uh, oaths or vows, which the Latin word for that is the word sacramentum. That's what the word is. They are debating over oaths and vows about which oaths they have to hold dear, they have to hold on to, and which vows they do not have to hold on to. That was something that the Romans did all the time. You lawyers would probably like to debate that. Which, which vows and oaths were things they had to hold on to, and which ones were, were not legal or not important, things they could pass on. And, and that was sort of bleeding over into the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish communities. Which oaths were important and which ones were not? Which ones did they have to hold and which ones did they not? And they debated about certain oaths that took place, maybe because of the amount of money someone donated, the amount of, of, of a gift, of a sacrifice that they gave, that those oaths were important, whereas other oaths maybe were not as important or could be ignored or could be discarded. 
And Jesus challenges them right in the middle of the temple, telling them, you have forgotten what it means to be sacred. You have forgotten how we define the word sacred. I think that happens to us from time to time when we get those two levels uh, uh, a little bit confused, the level of what's just meaningful to us versus what is sacred. There are times when we get those things confused because there are things that might be meaningful to us but are not necessarily sacred to the will of God. Let me give you a sort of a modern-day example of that, that that I've read about in a recent book. Julianne and I are reading a book called Miracles and Other Reasonable Things by a woman named Sarah Bessie. She's a really good author. You ought to read her. But she grew up as a Pentecostal, as a charismatic Christian. And and as she grew up, she was taught that all of the, the trappings and the pomp and the circumstance of the established church, churches like the Presbyterian Church or the Episcopal Church or especially the Catholic Church, all of those things were hollow and and idols, and and that there was really all those people needed to be saved over to the charismatic church in some way because that's where the Holy Spirit really was. Well, in the circumstances of her life, ironically, she got invited to go and visit the Pope, believe it or not. On on the 50th anniversary of the Golden Jubilee, it was a time when when the Pope and, and the church was trying to reclaim all of their charismatic gifts and their charismatic heritage. And so Pope Francis invited Episcopal, or I'm sorry, well, people from all different denominations over to the Vatican to celebrate this anniversary with her, including Pentecostals and Charismatics. And so she, guided by a bishop, got to go and, and visit the Vatican and visit the Pope himself. And as they were climbing the stairs up into the Clementine Hall where this great gathering was going to take place, this bishop that was guiding her began to tell her about all the beautiful things that she would see in this hall, the, the frescoes on the wall, and the beautiful paintings, the incredible artwork, and most importantly, he said, pay attention to the throne that the Pope sits on. It's this big, beautiful, golden throne with, with red velvet uh, cushions, and it's, it's incredible. It will just take your breath away. Well, as they got into the room, she looked around and she was impressed by all of the artwork. But to her side, she heard an audible gasp from the bishop who was there with her. He said, look at the throne. And she looked over at it. And instead of an incredible throne made of gold, it was just a simple brown chair that Pope Francis had replaced it with. He came in and just for a few minutes stood in front of that chair to offer a a proclamation, but then he immediately jumped down off the pedestal and walked around the room and shaked people's hands and talked to them. And and he even came over to Sarah and and blessed Sarah and, and asked Sarah to pray for him. And in those moments, she realized that there was something to this old church that she had heard so many bad things about. It wasn't in the gold throne, it wasn't even in the paintings around them, but it was in the communication between the Pope and herself, this Jesus passing between them. See, that's what God calls and Jesus tells the the Pharisees makes things sacred. It has nothing to do with us, what we build, what we make. It has everything to do with God. It's God that makes things sacred. It's God that declares this is sacred in any way, shape, or form. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. Jesus looks at those Pharisees and it says, every vow that you make is sacred because you're making it before God. Every vow that you make is sacramentum. It's holy. And so you should keep it holy. 
Now let's talk about that word sacramentum for just a minute. The sacraments that we have. We have listed two in the Presbyterian Church and in the Reformed faith as, as the two that we hold above all the others. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the reason why we hold those above the old, all the others is because Martin Luther himself said those were the two that Jesus Christ instituted himself. Amongst all the other sacred practices that we have, it was the Lord's Supper and the baptism that Jesus participated in himself and called us to do again and again and again himself. Because it was through those sacraments, as John Leaf, the great Presbyterian theologian, said, that it was through those sacraments that God communicates to us grace. God communicates grace and confers grace upon us through those two sacraments in a special way above any other sacred practice that we have. The problem is, is that we as Presbyterians over the years have from time to time taken those, those communications of grace and forgotten that it's, what, it's God that makes them sacraments. We focus too much at times on ourselves or on how they're performed or on the minister that does it or where we're doing it. We focus too much on ourselves and forgotten that it just takes God to make it holy. I think I've told you about this little history lesson before, but in the early American church, in the early American Presbyterian church, you, had to, you used to have to present a little coin before you could come to the Lord's table. You would got a coin because throughout the, past, the, the month leading up to, to communion, you were, you were watched and judged by the elders of the church to make sure you were doing holy things and living ho the right way. And even they would check and see if you were giving enough money to the support of the ministries of the church. And if you were, you got a little gold coin that was sort of like your ticket to the Lord's table. But if you weren't, well, you were left out. It had everything to do with you and how you were living and how you were acting and what you were doing. And they had forgotten that the Lord's table, what made it sacred, what made it sacramentum, was God. Just think of, of all those people who had to sit and watch as other people came forward and put their coins in a basket so that they could receive the Lord's Supper. What do you think they were uh, hearing from the church? What do you think the church was communicating to them? Were they communicating grace? Were they conferring grace upon them? Or were they looking at the people in the church and saying, you're not good enough? That's why now in the Presbyterian church, we try to go above and beyond with all of the sacraments to include everybody in the life of the church, to make you feel welcome because it's not about us. It's not Brad that makes it special. It's not the water that makes it special. But it's the Holy Spirit it's the presence of God calling us, beckoning us, communicating to us God's grace and God's love. And here's the secret to the sacraments. Is that once you receive those sacraments, it doesn't end there. You are then called to go out into the world and try to make everything else in your life sacred. You are called to go out into the world and to invite God's grace to be a part of all the little things that you do every single day. So that everything you do is about God's grace. Everything you do communicates God's love. Everything you do is about God's will being done in your life. Even the little things, not just big things, but even the little things. 
Let me give you an example from my last church. We, Julianne and I worked at a, a previous church together, and we had a little group there called Prayers and Squares. It was a group of quilters who made quilts for people in our church. And, and that organization got started from another church years before where uh, a woman had, uh, had a son who was in the hospital, and she was asked another woman in her church who liked to quilt if she would make a quilt for her son so that he could be warm while he was in the hospital. And so she agreed to make that quilt quilt and invited some other quilters in their church to, to come together and, and make that quilt so they could make it a little faster. And while they were spending hours stitch by stitch in silence putting that quilt together, finally one of the women spoke up and said, is anybody else praying while you're quilting? And every last one of them said, yes, we're praying for the boy that we're making this quilt for. And so with every single stitch, they were offering a prayer to the young man that was going to receive this quilt. And they shared that story with people in their church. And believe it or not, more people asked for quilts. Just simple needle and thread. But God was invited in to be a gift of grace, a communication of grace. And so just simple needle and thread became sacred, became holy. That's what I hope we do around here when we make casseroles for people who are sick. It's inviting God into something simple and making it sacred or making it holy. Or when we give a ride to somebody who needs a ride who can't get to school on time without us, we take that ride and we make it sacred or we make it holy. Or we send an email to someone who needs to just hear that they're loved and we make it sacred and we make it holy. All the things in our life, whether they're big or even the little things can be sacred because of God. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's what we're called to do as disciples. That's what we're called to do as saints of the church. As I mentioned to you before just a few minutes ago, today is All Saints Day. It's the day where we remember all of those saints who have passed away in this past year and, and beyond. In some churches, saints are people who do great, big, amazing things and provide awesome miracles. But in the Presbyterian church, a saint is a sinner who keeps trying. A saint is someone who is claimed by the love of God and tries to make their life sacred in little, simple ways every single day. God calls us to receive the sacraments and be a part of those sacraments, but then God sends us out into the world to communicate that grace with others. So go out into the world this day and be the saints that you've been called to be. Go out into the world and be saints and communicate to others the grace of God so that every single thing in your life will be sacred. Every single thing in your life may be holy to the glory of God. Amen.